Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to see the Lord's house filled and um, filled with smiling faces. Those who are here to rejoice in the Lord's presence. And to those of you who are watching and listening online, welcome to you. Very glad that you're able to join us as well today. I'd ask you, please, if uh, you'd be so kind as to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22 as we return after just a brief pause in our look at the life of David. Uh, We're going to return to that today. 1 Samuel chapter 22. I'm just going to read the first five verses, and I'd ask if you would please stand uh, with me, if you're able, for the reading of God's holy word. First Samuel 22, 1 through 5. David departed from there, and that there, of course, is the city of Gath in, the, in Philistia. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul, gathered to him, and he became captain over them. There were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Please do be seated. Now, some of you uh, in your young days, and some of you who are already in your young days, uh, who are still in your young days, um, know a thing or two about wrestling. I don't know if you ever did it actually as a sport or not. Um, with my, I just had one brother. We were about close to the same age, and we were rather expert wrestlers before too long. We did a lot of wrestling, but not quite uh, with uh, rules and boundaries and all those other kinds of things. In an in a actual wrestling match, there's a ring painted or taped or whatever on, on the floor. And the rules are clear that wrestlers must stay within that ring in order to compete. Now sometimes, just in the course of the wrestling match, stepping outside that boundary just happens. Uh, as paused when, when that, and when it does, uh, things are paused and they're brought back together and they start over again. But that stepping outside, if it's done strategically, can be done uh, with the aim of just gaining a few moments of clarity before re-engaging an opponent. And sometimes a wrestler steps out of bounds just to get away from what looks like a sure loss. And so there's a little fear aspect there. Now you might say, well, what does that have to do with, with David? Well, where was David coming from? He was coming from Gath. Does Gath seem to you, and for those of you that were here before, 
when we talked about David going there, doesn't it seem to you that that's a little bit like stepping out of bounds? David is trying to get away from a difficult situation. And in essence, he broke the rules. Essentially, he stepped out of bounds by going to Gath to try to get away from Saul. And when he did that, just like in a wrestling match, if you do that too often, it can get you disqualified. And in this case, David nearly got disqualified uh, by being thrown in prison or perhaps even killed by the Philistines because he uh, mistakenly decided he was going to step out of bounds uh, and not in the right direction at all. But now David's heading back in the right direction. He's, he's getting back to Judah. And indeed he is now, when he escapes to the cave of Adullam, he is back, just back, in the land of Judah. That's good that he's finally heading that way. Uh, Yahweh did not anoint David to be an absentee king. To be a king that ruled in exile somewhere. And David's faith has been tested. We've seen that not only in just the events themselves that we looked at, but also in the Psalms that he wrote that related to uh, those events. But his faith is about to be tested even more. I think this little passage makes something very clear to us. Even though it seems like it's just this kind of little, almost unimportant Nothing in the Word of God is unimportant. But it, it, in comparison to the other these great events, it just seems like this little transitional thing. It's just filling in a few pieces so that we know how he got from point A to point Z. But it is much more than that. It is a very transitional series of events here. But it is a momentous series of events that really don't appear that way at the beginning. It's time for David... And I think he realizes that here. It's time for him to get back in the game. But to get back in it with his head on straight this time. As David begins to think about his next moves, his heart, uh, there's, a bit, there's a bit of up and down with David. And we'll see that in the next few weeks. So I'll be gone next Sunday, but in the following weeks, we're going to look at the Psalms that David wrote concerning these events. And you see the first one that he wrote, he's all over the map emotionally. He's really wrestling with lots of ups and downs and trying to figure out what, uh, what he needs to do. And then you see that, that his heart moves from trouble to triumph. It's, it's up and down, but it begins to weave its way through these very simple events to a place where David is able to rejoice in the Lord in, in faith, even though to all, any observer, it would seem like David is just not sure where he's going. Um, it's, uh, it's important, though, to understand that David needs to get back on track, get back in the game. And we're going to talk more about this um, uh, for you and me as well as we go through this. But let me just introduce 
introduce a little bit of application before we actually get to the event. And to think that when you are going through times of testing and times of trouble and, and you want to step out of bounds to get, uh, catch your breath to figure out how you're going to go from where you are now to where you need to be, you need to recognize that it's not okay to just abandon the field, uh, but it might be okay to take a step back, as long as you do it the right way. But then it'll be time to get back in the game of what the Lord has called you to do. So hopefully I didn't just confuse you with that, but we'll walk through this together. So, Verses 1 and 2. Here's the, here's the part of getting back in the game that David got wrong the first time, but gets right this time. So, and in fact, this is not the first, well, yeah, this is the first time that we see this kind of thing. Uh, we will see this kind of pattern in David's life before where he'll get it wrong the first time and get it right the second time. Do you remember with the bringing the Ark of the Covenant back? So he got it wrong, royally wrong, the first time. Um, decided to bring it on a cart, not do it God's way. The second time around, um, he did it right. <laughs> Figured it out. One thing about David, he learned his lessons, and uh, he tended to live according to uh, what those lessons taught him. But here, in 1 and 2, he's escaping. He goes to this cave. Now, um, so I'm, I'm saying that in this part of getting back in the game, it's time to regroup. It's been a struggle. He's been fleeing from Saul. He's been one step ahead all along. Uh, there's fear. There's been doubt. There's wondering what's going to happen. No doubt thinking, Lord, you called me to this, uh, but I don't understand why. You called me to be king, and yet you've got me living out here uh, in, in, the, in the woods and in the caves and everywhere else, fleeing for my life. Lord, this doesn't look like this is going according to plan. So the first time he got it wrong, he ran to Gath. Adullam is, is a good place, though, to regroup. And, and, and so there, there is an appropriate time to regroup when you've been under fire. Adullam's about 20 miles east of Gath, pretty much due east from Gath. Gath is down in the lowlands toward the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And Adullam is in what's called the Shephala, uh, which is the foothills of the Judean uh, hills. And there are caves near this town uh, of Adullam. And because I think in Hebrew the two words look a little similar when they're written, um, sometimes you'll see, even in this, uh, in this uh, particular passage, you see the word fortress. Caves and fortress, it's a similar word. In, in the Hebrew language, and so they get, uh, it gets referred to one way or the other. Of course, fortress has the connotation of more than just a place to go run and hide, um, though it can be that, I guess. But it does seem to suggest that these were a known place, a place where there were at least some fortifications of some kind, whether David did them at this time or they had been done before by somebody else. It was a known place, 
certainly uh, what David's family heard about it. They knew where it was, and they came there. So others knew. You can bet Saul knew as well. We'll talk more about that in a second. But he, that's where he goes to begin with. Well, and here's the second, okay, about Saul. So Adullam is just inside the border of Judah from Philistia. But it's not likely that Saul would send a large force that way because he would be sending a large force down towards Philistia. It's a sure way to trigger a war. And so it's, it's kind of neutral ground in a way. So David goes there and holds up for a little bit. He does appear to have used to. Uh, he will use this cave more than once. These cave, this cave system. In Second Samuel chapter twenty-three, it's referred to again. But really, this is where David should have gone. If he's gonna, if you're gonna regroup, go to a place that is not in the midst of the enemy. Not, not where uh, you know the enemy would get get glory for delivering you. Go to a place, sure, um, take some time off, do what you need to do to regroup. Um, but re- regroup in, in a place of relative calm. In the struggles and the trials of our life, calm is not usually a word that, that uh, is used in the same sentence when we're going through those afflictions, right? When we're going through those attacks, when we're going through those difficulties. So David found a place of calm. And also notice when he regroups here, notice the people who are coming alongside here. You know, when David goes to Gath, do you think anybody there at Gath thought about life the way that David thought about life? Do you think the Philistines thought about God the way that David thought about God? Do you think the Philistines thought about um, even such even such a mundane thing as the monarchy? Is it the same way that David was thinking about it? No. So David was going to try to find comfort among those who had a completely different worldview that was antithetical to godliness and righteousness and the promotion of the kingdom. Now, who's gathering to him? Well, there's his family. And then here's all these people that are, are uh, in trouble. And they're all gathering to him. So I, I'm saying not only do we regroup in a place of calm, but we, regroup, we should be regrouping uh, with those who are like-minded with us. Yeah, usually when we hear um, the phrase like-minded, we tend to think of it in terms of uh, doctrine, or other positive characteristics, right? But notice here, like-mindedness. You know, the distressed. The debtors. Those who are bitter. And uh, the idea here is not that they're going around being, being bitter, but there's bitterness of soul. They're, they're, they're sorrowing. Uh, those that... You know, it, it, this would have been a reminder to David that he wasn't the only one that Saul was abusing. Apparently, Saul was abusing quite a few others as well. But these folks that are distressed and 
and in debt and full of sadness and sorrows. They come to David and they find a kindred spirit with him and he with them. Quite a, quite a beginning, isn't it, for the king of Israel? And yet, that's why this is such a pivotal, uh, a pivotal passage, even though it doesn't really appear to be. Because this is really, if you want to think of it, this is, this is really the, the physical beginning of David's reign. Not going to be fully realized yet and all of that, but this is the beginnings. And it's starting off basically with the dregs of Israel. Sometimes you ought to think David must have looked around and gone, Really, Lord? <laughs> this is what you gave me? Okay. Um, but it's not all negative. We'll see this later when we look at Psalm 142, which is that psalm where David is up and down emotionally, wrestling back and forth as he's there in the cave. In Psalm 142, verse 7, he says these incredible words in light of what we read here in 1 Samuel 22. He says, the righteous will surround me. So just because you're in distress, just because you're full of sorrows, just because you're, you're, you're in debt, doesn't mean you're unrighteous. And these folks that were coming to David were apparently those, I would guess, who somewhere along the line recognized as the word would have gotten out eventually, that another king had been anointed and who were not necessarily supporters of Saul and suffered abuse at his hands because of that. I think that's a reasonable assumption. But God uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty, does he not? We're warned in the scriptures not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Just as Israel was also warned not to think of themselves as having this wonderful lineage and, and they had to be reminded that no, uh, you, you didn't come from any high house. No, the Lord chooses the weak so that he will be glorified. I, I was even thinking about the Lord Jesus, right? When he called the 12 to him. Apart from Jesus himself, there wasn't a whole lot of glory in that bunch. Tax collectors, fishermen. Just not much there that the world will look at, look at and say, wow, I want to be one of them. Wow, this is the way to start the kingdom of God off right. But God doesn't think that way. For one thing, he's jealous for his own glory. And David, though I'm sure there were times when he looked around and thought, I don't know how we're going to build anything with this bunch. And yet later on, when you read uh, about his life and it's a recounting of, of all the mighty men that fought for David and the incredible things that they did, they were part of this bunch. So the Lord can use, use us no matter uh, what, uh, you know, what dregs we got dug out of. And raise us up to do incredible things before Him for His glory. It's, it's something that 
we need to be mindful of when we are wanting to escape from the trials and troubles that do face us. We will find comfort, even though we don't understand it, among God's people, those who are uh, the righteous, those who are adhering to His standard. Whatever sorrows they might have, whatever difficulties they might have, um, this is a place uh, that we should be seeking after, a place where God's people are dwelling. And so, David then is, is said that in the, the latter part of verse 2, that he became captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So, in this regrouping, it would be very tempting, put yourself in David's place, yes, you've been anointed to be king, yes, you have this role to fill, and yes, you've been You've been hounded, you've been beat up on, you've had your, uh, you've been driven away from your home. And yet, you're still called upon to do something. And, but the, the, the temptation would be to say, it's not worth it. Why am I doing this? Why am I pounding myself, my head against the wall on this? And the temptation might be, but to just go to withdraw, to be done with it, and not return to it at all. But when we read that David became commander over these 400 men, and presumably their families as well, so this would have been quite a large group. He regrouped with a renewed commitment to the calling that God had given him. It was time to assume leadership for David rather than merely existing. And David takes it on. The nation was in crisis and he had to step up. So when you and I are surrounded by trouble, it, yes, it can be wise to strategically step back into a neutral place to figure out the next steps. I mean, Consider, again, our Lord Jesus Christ who often pulled away into a remote spot to pray, to think, to ready himself for the next activities in his earthly ministry. And for us, wisely doing the same can make the difference in making the situation worse and actually mapping out a plan for getting back into action righteously and effectively. Just make sure that you don't use this tactic of stepping back as, uh, as an excuse to avoid your duty. Secondly, this, and this getting back into the game, yes, it's time to regroup, take a deep breath, figure out where we're going. It's also time, though, to realize that this isn't all about you. It's time to think about others. It's time to reconsider. In other words, rethink about others. Interesting thought there in one, uh, in verse one. His brothers and all his father's house heard it. They went down there to him. Who knows what pressure Saul might have been putting upon his family. But they came uh, down there to join him in, in the caves of Adullam. What was the last, what was the last thing we heard about his brothers? You remember? Chapter 17. 
Remember what his brother Eliab did? Mocked him, treated him with contempt. Said, you're only down here just to see the battle. Why don't you go back and take care of those few sheep? And who knows about the other brothers? We didn't really, we don't really get much other information there. But at least one of his brothers certainly looked at him without any honor whatsoever. And this after seeing him anointed. So Eliab had no excuse to treat his brother with contempt. But now when um, the fire gets hotter, the difficulty comes up, they come to join David. And David could have been petty. He could have said, you weren't with me before. Be warmed, be filled somewhere else. But David did not harbor, apparently, any resentment in his heart. As you go through life, your life in your families, in your workplaces, here in the church, wherever there are other people that we rub elbows with, sometimes those elbows are bony and pointy and they hurt. And people fail us. And people hurt us. But when it's time to engage again in your family engage again in your workplace engage again in your community that is not the time to look at those who have had a change of heart and a desire to be reconciled with resentment contempt and a desire for their harm David as he thinks about others he does so without resentment David clearly did not turn them away but welcome them. Not only that, um, he thought about uh, others without any reservation or any consideration of what it might cost him, is another way we could put this. <clears throat> when you look at verses 3 and 4, this interesting little <clears throat> sidelight here is what it seems to be that he goes to Moab, takes his father and mother there. And ask the king of Moab to look after them until he knows what God is going to do for David. Now David has just arrived there at the cave of Adullam. We're not told about the timeline, exactly how long he was here. Uh, this, this is probably more than a matter of a few days. I would say it's probably at least a few weeks. It may be a little bit longer. But he's in relative safety there. Saul hasn't come after him. Good time to get peace. So what does David do? He crosses Judah with his father and mother. He leaves the safety of the fortress and goes to the king of Moab, for whom, even though David has a family connection in Moab, remember Ruth, the Moabitess? So David, who knows what cousins and all that he's got over there. But he goes to the king of Moab, where there's, Moab hasn't always been friendly to Israel. But he goes over there and, and asks that, uh, that the king take care of him, which he does, which he does. He's doing this in an in a effort, I think, to prevent Saul from harming his family, but also from Saul using them as leverage or, or uh, some other way, uh, bait to uh, lure David out. 
whatever role you're called to fulfill in God's providence, husband, father, employer, leader, whatever it is, it's important to remember that life is not just about you. Thinking of others more highly than yourself, serving others, striving not to be a cause of stumbling to others, sacrificing for others, it's all part of your service for Christ. And no matter what past hurts there may have been, or what inconvenience there might be to you, getting back in action during times of difficulty includes putting the needs of others first. David demonstrates a key characteristic of godly leadership here in this passage. And then finally in verse 5, it's time to re-engage re-engage. First of all, re-engage being guided by God's Word. We've had time to think about it. We've put some plans in place. We've made some preparations. We've kind of cleared the decks so that we can get back at it. But that is not the time to go, all right, I'm going to trust in my plans. I'm going to trust in everything that I'm doing. I'm going to trust in my ability to carry it out. No, David moves when the Lord tells him to move in accordance with God's Word. Now, this prophet named Gad just shows up here. We don't know anything about his history. But uh, he shows up here for the first time. He, According to 2 Samuel 24, uh, David, uh, he would become David's seer, the one that David would turn to again and again to know what the will of God was. He would counsel David. He'd bring God's word to David through some pretty momentous times. Uh, sometimes times of blessing, other times times of judgment. David, by the grace of God, listened to God's prophet, even though it meant that God wanted him to leave this place of protection and re-engage. We can make all kinds of excuses not to engage. We can make all kinds of excuses not to, to persevere in what God has called us to do. People hurt us. People fail us. Our own frailties, our own weaknesses of the mind or flesh or both. <laughs> um, circumstances around us in our communities, finances, you name it. Any, any of the excuses that we use, um, I would do that but there's this. I would do that except for oh, our lives would be filled with that kind of uh, thinking. Can they not? But David is guided by God's word and he seems to do so without question. And this re-engaging is on the field of God's calling. Because the, the forest of Hereth is further in. It's in the middle of Judah. It's not further away from Saul. It's heading towards Saul. It's heading towards the source of the problem. Uh, this career of David's is starting to look a little more like the story of Robin Hood. Right? Without the thievery, of course. Uh, but living there in the, in the forest of Hereth. Now, caves are on the border. The forest is all the way in. 
There's no turning back now. God had called David to be the king of his people, and that required that David be in the midst of his people, even if it meant that he was closer to the one who wanted him dead. So David wins. You know, when all the plans have been finalized and the preparations done, it's time to get off the couch, so to speak, and to get with it. But you must do that under the authority of God's Word. Doing God's work by carnal means, whether it's your anger, whether it's your own power, whether it's your, your um, trying to escape from your duties, whatever it is. Those carnal means dishonor your Lord. They do not accomplish His righteousness. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And of course, don't pull a Jonah either and decide that you're going to serve God in a place and in a role that avoids the place and role that He has appointed you to. Well, I'll serve God as long as I can go here. It's the classic, Lord, don't make me a missionary to Africa, you know, kind of thing. I'll serve you anywhere, but not there, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of deal. Um, don't go that way. David did not. He demonstrated a willingness to walk in obedience to his Lord and re-enter the fray, re-engage for God's glory. Because your life's goal is not, must not be your comfort or your safety. Your life's goal is pursuing the glory of God. So, it's time to get back in the game. Don't let your troubles, your afflictions, or your conflicts sideline you. If you need to regroup, do so. But don't drag your feet. Trust your Lord, listen to His Word, and return to the fray with renewed confidence in the one who has called you to a life of service by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ working in and through you. To God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this simple little passage that reminds us that when we've had, we've had a rest and you provide for those things that Lord we still have work to do help us to do it according to your rules according to your word and in your strength and be glorified in and through us Lord as we get back in the game during times of difficulty and serve you with all of our hearts in Christ's name we pray Amen